I would guess that the most famous verse in the Bible, at least um, amongst Christians, is John 3.16. You know, like it's the one that you see the people dressed like clowns or whatever, holding up at football games and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's probably one of the first passages that most kids are asked to memorize in Sunday school if they're asked to memorize passages. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 goes on to talk about that God, the the Son of Man was not sent to judge the world but to save the world. That story, that, that those verses come in the midst of a story where Jesus has an encounter with Nicodemus, right? Anybody, that's who it is, right? Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a religious leader who was curious about who Jesus was and comes to Jesus and says, how am I supposed to inherit eternal life? Like, how, how am I supposed to go about doing this thing? And so Jesus tells him, well, what you have to do is you've got to be born again. Like, you kind of have to start all over from scratch. And Nicodemus uh, says, Jesus, that's crazy talk. Like, it's not possible for someone to climb back into their mother's womb, so what are you talking about? And Jesus goes, look, I'm not talking about physical rebirth. I'm talking about spiritual rebirth. And Nicodemus leaves. The next story we hear is in John chapter 4 about the woman at the well. I asked a few weeks ago on Facebook if you had a time machine and you could go back in time to witness things that happened in the Bible, what would you want to go and witness? And it was really interesting to hear what people said. But one or two people, I think actually three people, said they'd like to see this interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. So keep in mind, this happens right after Jesus is talking to a church person, right? Like, for lack of better idea, if we engage our imagination, it would be like Jesus talking to one of us, and we would be kind of like, uh, yeah, you're crazy, I'm out of here. And then this happens. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you... A Jewish man asked for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, If you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never thirst again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty again and never have to come here to draw water again. Jesus said, Go get your husband and come back here. And the woman said, I don't have a husband. You're right to say you don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. You have spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach us everything. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks to you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples spoke to Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know. And the disciples asked each other, has someone brought him food? And Jesus said, I'm fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you have a saying, four more months and then it's time for harvest? Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for the harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. For, for eternal life is so, is so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying that one sows and another harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work hard for. Others worked hard and you will share in their hard work. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified, He told me everything I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked Him to stay with them, and He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of His word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. May God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. I I was telling you a few weeks ago that one of the reasons I like the book of John, it's not my favorite of the Gospels, but one of the reasons I do really like it 
is because the way John writes, you can kind of picture things. He'll say it was about noon, and the woman was by herself. Like, you can start to picture things, and you can use what is called your sanctified imagination to imagine what was happening. And you don't have to be accurate in your imagination, by the way. You can just picture it and imagine what was going on. Like, I I imagine that Jesus and his disciples were on this long walk. They were headed towards Jerusalem, and they had to go through Samaria or go around it, as many Jews would do. Instead of going through Samaria, they would just go around it because they didn't even want to have an encounter. I would imagine that it's much like road trips with my wife and kids, who my wife really hates road trips and wants to make them happen as fast as possible, and I like them, and I want to stop and look at the thing you know, on highway, on Interstate 10. I want to see, like, all these weird roadside stops, and sometimes she accommodates it, and sometimes she doesn't. But what those things are for are actually for the kids in the back seat who are saying, are we there yet, and are tired of me saying, yes, we're just looking for a place to park. And so we stop. And I think the disciples and Jesus were going through Samaria and they were complaining, like, why do we have to go through Samaria? These people, oh my gosh, look how weird they are. I can't believe they do these things. And they think they're right and we're wrong. And just he was just sick of it. And he goes to the roadside stop called Jacob's Well. Jacob's Well is a famous roadside stop for them. It's, it's even more famous than the thing is for us. It's like this famous place where Jacob, the one who wrestled with God, met his wife Leah. And where the whole saga starts with Jacob and Leah and Rachel and the dad and everybody trying to trick each other and Jacob like ending up with a whole bunch of sheep and getting rich off of the whole thing and, and him going and meeting up with his brother and wrestling with God and having his name changed from Jacob to Israel, the one who wrestles with God. It's like Jesus is probably reminding of them of this and teaching them as they're taking this little side trip off to Jacob's well. And when he gets there, he's just sick of them. And he's like, here's a few dollars. Go buy yourself something. I need a break from you for a few minutes. And as he's sitting there in the shade, he sees a woman walk up. And in some ways, he reenacts the encounter between Jacob and his wife. Jacob said, give me some water to drink. And she did, and that's the way he knew they were to be married. And Jesus says, Give me some water to drink. And this lady is bold. And she goes, why are you even talking to me? Why are you even talking to me? And he says, listen, ma'am, if you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would be asking me for water. And I would give you water that you could drink and never thirst again. She thinks he's talking about physical things. He's talking about spiritual things. And she goes, what are you talking about? You don't even have a bucket to draw water with and the well's deep, goofball. And so starts the saga. They have this interaction that was very similar to Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, the religious person. But this lady is not religious In fact, she has every reason to have rejected the God of her ancestors. See, it's not that she was promiscuous, and that's why she had five husbands. It's that she was barren and couldn't bear for her husband's children, let alone a son. 
And because she couldn't, she was cast off to another husband and another husband and another husband and another husband and another husband. And now she's likely enslaved to a man who has no intent to ever marry her. Because why would he? In that culture, why would he? But Jesus is no respecter of persons. You could be Nicodemus, or you could be the Samaritan woman who can't bear children and is unclean on multiple levels. Jesus is still going to approach with love and kindness and truth. So she hears it. Where Nicodemus couldn't, she can. I wonder what happened. Like she, I wonder when the moment struck her, did she run back to town? Did she walk back to town? We know she left her bucket there, her, her, her gathering device for water. She left it there, and she goes back to her town. I like to picture it being that fast walk that women do when they're angry. That's what I think was going on, but it was like intensity. It wasn't anger, it was intensity. Like she's like booking it, man. And if people are coming past her, she's not even talking to them. And here's the other thing. One of the reasons we know she was ostracized is because women went to a well in groups of people for security and also for socialization. Same reason women go to the restroom together today. Security and for socialization. And she was by herself. Ostracized not only by the men in her lives, her life, but by the women in her life also. So she has this intense walk where she's fast pacing it, stepping over stones, maybe going around the path to avoid even messing with people that are in the way. And she gets to her street, her neighborhood, and she starts telling the people who won't even listen to her normally, hey, listen, listen to me. I think I found the one. He told me everything in my life, everything that I've ever done. He talked to me about it, which is crazy for her to open up and make that type of confession. They, they didn't want to hear about her life. And she probably didn't want to tell them, but she does. The other part about this story that's fascinating to me is Jesus. And his disciples, they come back and they're kind of like, ah, there he is talking to a woman again. There he is doing this thing like this guy's always talking to people that we shouldn't be talking to and everybody's always getting mad at us about it. But they don't say anything. They must have just grumbled about it. That tells us something about Jesus who we're supposed to emulate. Who in our lives are we supposed to avoid that we do? And why are we listening to the voices telling us to avoid them? Because Jesus didn't avoid anybody. He like plows through Samaria like, like it's his hometown, like it's his neighborhood street, like it's the place that he's welcomed with open arms. And the lady goes back to town and she tells people, and for some reason they're like, this lady's whacked out. Let's go see what she's talking about. I think it's more of a curiosity thing. I think it's kind of a freak show. And so they go and they see him 
And something about their encounter makes them realize she wasn't playing around. He's the real thing. You should stay with us. And he does. What does that tell us about God? That God will stay with you. Because every single one of us, in one way or the other, is the Samaritan woman. I like to think that she went back and she talked to women who were like her. Women who had been cast aside, who had been ostracized, who had been pushed from man to man to man, people who she could understand their pain and feel their pain. And she went and she told them about this guy that offers her hope and grace and that they should come see him. And they think she's crazy, but they take the risk anyway because it's worth the risk. And so they go and they sit at his feet and they find the same thing. And then he stays and they gather more people and they find the same thing. There are legends about this woman In the Greek Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, she's actually a saint, and they've given her a name. And they say that she was a healer of women. That she would go to women who had been abused and neglected, and that she would heal them. So we have two people in this story to emulate. We have Jesus, who plows right into the places he should never be, to offer hope to people who don't have any. And we have the woman at the well who's probably the first apostle. They're disciples. Those of us who believe and want to learn about and from Jesus are disciples. But Jesus calls his disciples to be apostles, those who are sent. I sometimes think we do too much church. Like sometimes I think we think that this is what it's about. And I wonder what would happen if we said like, hey, every Sunday for the next six weeks, we're not doing this. We'll meet up here, but then we're going to go. And we're going to come back when the day is over and we're going to pray with each other and we're going to tell the stories that we've seen and the ways we've encountered people and the service that we did. But I think that's still churchy, right? Like that's still kind of a churchy thing. I think what really needs to happen is on Sundays we come here to get refreshed and to be around the other people who are crazy just like us. Because the rest of the days of the week, we're out there like the Samaritan woman, the, the first apostle finding people who have the same kind of pain that we do, and we can understand what they're going through, and we can tell them how this Jesus, this man, gave us hope, and they might, they just might start following Jesus also. And they might, just might, become apostles as well who go out to the pinch points and the, and the places of pain to offer hope and grace and love to others. Where is your pain? What are the places, the things in your life that have happened to you or that you chose to allow to happen to you or that you caused 
or that somebody else caused, but the places in your life where there is just deep, embarrassing, guilt-ridden pain. Maybe it's not even guilt. Maybe, maybe it's you were abused as a child and you feel no guilt about it, but you're just embarrassed. Maybe it's you have addictions that you're just working your hardest to cover up and you don't know how to let them out into the light. Maybe it's that you struggle with temperament or relationships and you don't know what to do about it and you don't even know who to talk to about it. What Jesus is saying is, you've got to do something. You can't be Nicodemus who wants answers and then just walks away when you find them. You've got to own it. You've got to talk to people about it. You've got to confess it so that you can be healed and therefore heal other people. Because the thing I always say I still believe is true, hurt people hurt people. And healed people heal people. And it's okay to be a hurt person. But be a hurt person who's trying to find healing. And then don't just sit with our own healing. Do the work of being a healer like the woman at the well. Who I think should be one of our faith heroes. In the name of our creator, redeemer, and sustainer.